0: This week, a few milestones. Today is our 100th episode of the China Business Minute. It has been a bit of a journey since April of 2019 when we released our first episode. So thank you so much for listening throughout those two years. As you might've noticed, to celebrate, we have refreshed the cover art for our show. So don't worry, it'll be the same great information coming weekly from our China offices, just with a slightly different paint job. This week for something slightly different, we are on the line with our Senior Vice President, Jake Parker. From the U.S.-China Business Council in Washington, D.C., I'm Ian Hutchinson, and this is the China Business Minute. Jake Parker is our senior vice president here in Washington. Jake, glad to have you back on.
1: Hey, Ian, it's great to be back.
0: So you used to be in the regular rotation for this podcast back when you were in China, but you haven't been on for a while since you came back stateside. So however, this being the 100th episode, we figured we would bring you back on for a bit of variety. Well, first
1: of all, Ian, congratulations on reaching 100 episodes of the China Business Minute. I know when you arrived at USCBC, creating more digital content for the organization was a big priority for you. I know that this podcast was your brainchild. I just want to wish you congratulations for hitting this milestone and for exposing USCBC members to such a variety of useful information over the past number of years. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to speak on today's 100th episode.
0: Well, thank you. You're too kind. It is certainly a group effort. I would not have much to offer without our colleagues in Shanghai and Beijing. So, of course, I will deflect all praise onto their hard work as well. But there is more than one reason that we wanted to talk with you today specifically. And that is because after a long time here at USCBC, you are going to be moving on. That's right,
1: Ian. After 10 years with the organization, I'll be moving on. On January 16th, I've accepted a new role in Congress where I'll be able to apply some of the information uh, and and analysis work that I've done at USCBC for the last decade in a new capacity in, in serving the United States.
0: Well, we certainly wish you all the best there, but you've been with USCBC for basically a decade at this point, and you've worked in all three of the offices in Shanghai, Beijing, and D.C., so... Looking back, what stands out from your time with the organization over the past 10 years?
1: It's funny, and I I was just thinking back the other day about some of my experiences at USCBC, and when I was first hired into the organization, it was July of 2012, I remember sitting in our Shanghai offices a few months afterwards and, and watching President Xi and Premier Li and other members of the Politburo Standing Committee take the stage as they ushered in the the nearly once a decade leadership transition, which happens in China's politics, over the next several years, I would have the chance to engage with some of those leaders uh, in person. I have the opportunity to engage in talking point preparation. And what a tremendous opportunity all of that was.
0: Really not that long ago in the scheme of things, but it really was a different time. So how do you feel that the bilateral relationship has shifted over that time period?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And well, I think one of the interesting things about that leadership transition that I just talked about is that at the time, there were extremely high expectations that China was entering in a new era of economic reform. Uh, We had a third plenum document that talked about China's economic reform. China's free trade zones had recently been announced. And while they were announced around trade, in reality, they were pilot programs for economic liberalizations to allow foreign companies to operate in restricted in sectors that had previously been restricted. So I would say that at the time, companies were very optimistic about the reform trajectory going forward. Another important aspect of the time was USCBC's role in the relationship and frankly, the business community's role in the overall relationship. At the time, we still had the Joint Commission on Commerce and Trade. We had the Strategic and Economic Dialogues. Um, frameworks that brought together senior leaders in both countries to discuss important economic issues and market liberalizations, IPR protection, licensing concerns, and everything in between. And effectively it created multiple touch points throughout the year for the two sides to engage and try to resolve some of their issues. The business community overall was considered to be the ballast of the bilateral relationship. If there were challenges in the South China Sea, or there was disagreements over North Korea, or a flare up over Hong Kong and Taiwan, there was always the steady presence of the U.S. business community that helped to dampen some of the more assertive rhetoric in the relationship and, frankly, just keep things on course.
0: Yeah, the term I hear most is ballast, ballast of the relationship. So, so do you think it's fair to say that that's still the case? You know, do you think it's still true to the same extent? the
1: business community continues to be an incredibly important part of the U.S.-China bilateral relationship. There's no doubt about it. But it doesn't have the same impact on the relationship that it once did. And while many people will focus on the Trump administration or the previous four years of very assertive economic and trade policies exchanged between the two countries, I would argue that the, the source of that change was actually driven by China. Now, what do I mean by that? When I mentioned earlier that expectations were very high in 2013 with the new leadership, third plenum communique, um, the the free trade zones, it's my feeling that at that time, expectations of the business community were raised, that China was moving in a new direction in its economic reform efforts, that previously restricted sectors would be liberalized that opportunities to foreign companies uh, would emerge that had previously been closed to them. And over time, as the free trade zones proved to be ineffective for liberalizing new sectors, as the impetus for economic reform seemed to fall lower and lower on the priority list for China's policymakers, I saw firsthand that industry became increasingly discouraged about China's appetite for real economic reform to create opportunities in the market. It's not to say that China hasn't reformed economically. It has. And indeed, we've seen some really good progress over the last couple of years. But that mismatch between the expectation of really aggressive economic reform and the delivery of something that falls very, very far short of that affected the mentality of business leaders in the United States Because the U.S. business community had always been the ballast of the relationship, in Washington, D.C., whenever a strategic voice would talk about the challenges in China, there'd always be a counterbalance from the business community to speak to our U.S. government officials about the benefits of the bilateral commercial relationship, how trade helps American workers, how it lowers prices, how it creates more competitive markets in the United States and China and globally. Um, However, as that optimism in the China market receded because of the lack of progress on China's economic reforms. I think what we saw instead was business in the United States was much more quiet and weighed in less frequently uh, in those conversations. And as that voice receded, it was replaced by the strategic voices in the relationship, the intelligence voices and the military voices who began to talk about the strategic competition between the US and China and about the threats that China posed to the United States. The balance that came from that constructive commercial voice has been lost over time. And and as it's receded, it's put us on a very different trajectory with China than in the 20 years after they joined the World Trade Organization.
0: Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here then? If the role of the business community in the bilateral relationship has changed, like you say, what does the road forward look like?
1: It's a challenging question, Ian. My sense is is that the core of the U.S.-China relationship if for the short to medium term will be focused entirely on security issues, the national security of the United States, and business will be involved to the extent that their products and services are ones that are impacted in that national security debate. I think many had hoped that a new administration would offer new opportunities for re-engaging in a more constructive commercial dialogue that would lead to more productive outcomes for industry and the two countries. But the fact that the majority of their policies have sustained those created by the Trump administration and the fact that some of their new initiatives like the supply chain review indicate that this is not a short-term phenomenon and one that businesses will need to prepare for
0: going forward. Okay, well, well, don't leave us on a sour note. We can't have that. Um, So what's the silver lining to all of this? What positives do you see at the moment and in the near future?
1: Ian, the good news is is that China continues to be an enormous growth market for American industry. As we've said over and over in this podcast over the years, U.S. companies are in China for China. They have to be there, they have to be manufacturing there to access the local market, which is growing faster than any other market in the world and represents an enormous opportunity for American companies going forward. There's obviously going to be challenges in the bilateral commercial relationship, and perhaps the business voice will be less directly influential in setting the trajectory of the bilateral relationship going forward, but it still will be a hugely important market for American industry, and that's not going to change. Uh, So companies will just have to adapt to a new era, a new way of engaging between the U.S. and China that will frankly be a little more precarious than it's been in the past. But that's what the U.S.-China Business Council is here for. As it continues to serve members as it has over its nearly five decades in existence, I feel confident that the leadership will be able to continue to provide that tremendous service for our member companies, as well as continue to operate as a bridge between the U.S. and China going forward.
0: Something positive to leave it on. Jake, thank you for speaking with us today, and thank you for your many years of service here at USCBC. Thank you, again. Again, Jake Parker is our Senior Vice President in Washington, D.C. The China Business Minute is a production of the U.S.-China Business Council, and you can always learn more about the work that we do on our website, uschina.org. If you like the show, leave it a review. It will help other people find it or just send it directly to your colleagues. As always, thank you very much for listening, and we will be back in a week.